Welcome to the 1001 Travel Tales podcast, where seasoned travelers share their stories. Your hosts, Shoba George of Just Go Places and Rachel Heller of Rachel's Ruminations. We'd like to welcome today Janice Chung of francetraveltips.com. And we uh, asked Janice to come and talk to us because of her particular obsession with France. She doesn't just keep a blog about France, but she has visited a lot. Tell us about that, Janice. How many times? Yeah, one of my best friends actually coined the term. It's a made up term. It's called French centric. And Uh, this is even before I had done a ton of trips. So I just completed my 27th trip to France. Wow. Uh, I went with one of my friends who's been 10 times and it was quite the journey because I think we covered too much ground. Just after Christmas, we visited Paris, took the train down to Bordeaux and saw the brand new museum, La Cité du Vin, which is the wine museum. We headed to Luce and uh, Cours du Ciel and then onwards to Marseille. So one of the things is when I travel to France, I like to see new places and or I like to see places that I've written about that I'm dying still to see. To everyone's surprise, you know, there's so many places in France I still haven't seen. Well, it's so big and so different all around. Now, you've already <laughs> established that you've seen a lot of France, but not all of it. So I assume the goal is to see everything? Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the times will come when I've run out or I don't have the ability to travel physically anymore. Of all the places you have actually visited, what would you say are your must-sees? Well, definitely Paris. I love Paris. There's something about it that there's so much to see, first of all. I know it like the back of my hand, so I don't need to use a map. And I mean, I do for little things, but for the major things, I don't. Do you always stay in the same area? Is there a particular neighborhood you love? The left bank in the 5th, 6th, or 7th arrondissement. So that's on the south side of the Seine. And I really like it because it's so accessible. Not just walking somewhere, but when there seems to be metro stops or metro connections that are most accessible. On our last trip, this friend of mine, we stayed near the Eiffel Tower. Great hotel, but I probably wouldn't stay there again. Because I found that we were traveling much further distances on the metro than usual to get to places. Nothing wrong with where we stayed, very safe and everything, and certainly close to the Eiffel Tower, which was great because the Christmas markets were going on. Don't like the right bank as much because there didn't seem to be as many restaurants that were in my price range, which is like not cheap, but medium. Because the right bank has the Champs-Élysées, well, part of it. Yes. So you're talking about a more expensive 12 area. euro glass of wine, I remember, the last <laughs> time I was there. Exactly. 12 euros for a glass of wine. So after Paris, my heart is in Provence. My very first trip, when I was 19, I went with one of my sisters and my parents, and we did Paris, and then we took the train down to Provence to visit friends of ours that had a house. And I fell in love with that area, in particular, the hilltop towns like Gord, Minerbe, Roussillon, that kind of thing. What is so, about them that, that's so special? First of all, smaller towns. There's something, I don't know. I don't even want to say friendlier because I do find Paris to be friendly, maybe because I can speak enough French to get by. It's a slower pace. 
it's not go, go, go. I can actually relax. I find the light in the south of France amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. And it, it's quite gentle and it falls and, you know, everything's kind of bathed in a happy glow. Well, Van Gogh certainly loved it down there. It's true. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing is the wine. I love Chateau Neuf de Pop. We were staying in Gord, which is not too far from Chateau Neuf de Pop. And as a 19 year old who did not like wine at that time, that's when I started. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's a high bar. I know. You started with Chateau Neuf de Pop. We were drinking it like water because it was so cheap. Yeah. So it's my favorite wine now. <laughs> France was the first place I ever drank wine out of a box. Oh, yes. Oh, there. And the people I lived with every day at lunch had a whole meal, you know, several courses, which I cooked. And they had a box of Cote du Rhone. There was always yes. one open and we would have Cote du Rhone. And that was where I learned to drink wine, was having wine every day at lunch and every day at dinner. It was just part of the routine, which you would think it would be bad, but it wasn't. Yeah. No, because you're right. The first time I rented a house in Provence, we bought a big thing of wine from the Bordique, which was the cooperative. And the quality is really good. It's like at most restaurants. Their house wines in restaurants anywhere in France are quite good. Yeah, it's like a milk carton, like one of those yes. uh, long life milk cartons, but it had a little faucet of sorts on the oh, bottom okay. and you sort of perch it on the edge of the counter and pour from that first trip there was when you were 19 yes is that what made you such a francophile or that happened gradually later when did you learn to speak french oh yeah in canada in toronto we start learning in grade four i think so when you're nine years old and so i took it through that in high school in university actually i didn't take french it was after that i take it as continuing education. And then I've done a few immersion courses in France for weeks at a time. Getting back so, to Rachel's questions, you're pretty fluent already. So what happened was it wasn't that first trip. I was 10 years old and there was a movie and ah. it was called Two for the Road with Audrey Hepburn and Albert Finney. And it's about a couple who are traveling from England to the south of France. And that's when I fell in love with France. Wow. Before you even got there. Yeah. I remember going through travel brochures thinking, I got to go to France. I need to see these places. Back to your must-seek list. We've got Paris. We've got Provence. Loire Valley. And uh -huh, we love the that. Loire Valley is known as the Valley of Kings. So we have a lot of chateaus from mm -hmm. the, sorry, you have to excuse my history, 17th century, and probably even before 15th. I mean, there are a couple. There's Chateau de Chonanceau, which you see usually in photos, travel mags, that kind of thing. That's the one that's built out over the river, right? That's right, the river yeah. share. It's funny that you mentioned the Loire because that was what made me fall in love with France. Oh. I went when I was 11 with my family. It was my parents' first trip ever overseas. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know how many of those castles we visited, but I just couldn't get enough of it. I just loved it, loved them. There are so yeah, many castles. It's beautiful amazing they're just beautiful and each one's so different from the one mm -hmm. and they're also from different periods like yeah. Blois is, is older it's yeah. from the middle ages these parts of it I was 11 and just loved them and always loved yeah them. and unfortunately I have not done a bicycle trip in that area but for listeners that certainly is one of the most popular areas to do a bike trip because it's all flat <laughs> I've done two bike tours three can't I've lost track my very first one was the Dordogne and Bordeaux Nice. And parts of it were very hilly. But you compensate that with stopping at wineries, <laughs> having a little <laughs> wine. 
and you have a band that takes your luggage. I, I really do hope the wineries are at the top of the hill because then you can just <laughs> skate on down. It was tough. And, you know, sometimes when you're taking a bike tour, if it's a summer in France, it can be extraordinarily hot. That trip was wonderful. I mean, I hadn't been to the Bordeaux area, the Medoc, and it was a lot of fun. And then I did another one with a friend in Burgundy. And that was also hilly at times. And going to wineries and, you know, fortunately, you wear off all the great food that you're eating. You're biking for a big chunk of the day. Well, this is the other thing about France is the food, oh, yeah. which is so extraordinary. I mean, even just any hole in the wall place will just have amazing food. And just a loaf of bread for breakfast is so much better than bread pretty much anywhere else. Yeah, rumor has it that the bread or the flour that they're using is so different from the flour that they use in North America or else I'll just say Canada. Like people who say, oh, I can't eat bread in Canada. They go crazy when they're in France. It's like, why aren't French women bigger? Because I would be ODing on the butter, the cheese, and the bread. It's the old uh, Mireille Giuliano. I think she wrote the book, French Women Don't Get Fat. And they don't snack. They eat smaller portions. There is the question of the wine paradox, you know, the red wine. Or actually, it could be white wine, too. What's the red wine paradox? I don't know it. But it's very healthy for you drinking wine. I think it's just that they eat high quality, small portions. Yeah. In North America, we do the reverse. We eat high quantities, (laughs) low quality. And then when you go elsewhere, it's hard to switch the quantity out. In France, I would eat large quantities of really good food. Exactly. When I lived there as an au pair, I was, you know, in college. And I was taking a term off college and working as an au pair. And that's where I learned how to cook, actually. I didn't know how. And they taught me. Oh, um, wow. Which is nice. But yeah, the portions were just tiny. And we had beef tech, a Mm -hmm. steak, essentially. It was tiny. It was, oh, I don't know. One serving was less than a playing card size. And very thin as well. It was really small. But the meal that I would make for them at lunch would have several courses. There'd be a soup and there'd be the check bleu. I never could make it blue enough. Bleu means really rare. Yeah. And no matter how quickly I cooked it, they would say, no, it's not blue <gasps> enough. It was amazing. And, yeah, and the French really love their still doing. rare. <laughs> um, and there'd be a vegetable course or a salad course and there'd be a dessert. I mean, there'd be four or five courses at lunch every day. And that sounds like a lot of food, but each course the portions were tiny so yeah they just don't overeat i think the other thing too is they walk everywhere that's why you'll see even in hotel or especially in hotels stairs you won't find elevators and i remember reading some reviews on you know travel websites and people are complaining and there was no elevator yeah i can imagine it would be hard if you're carrying this gigantic suitcase up six flights (laughs) of stairs but I don't carry a gigantic suitcase over. Anyways, I really like the culture and how they live. They really, like at lunchtime, you were talking about all the courses. They really do spend at least an hour eating lunch. You don't walk down the street eating your burger. Yeah, the people I was working for, the father would come home at lunchtime every day. And I'd prepare a meal for him. The mother was bedridden, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is why they hired me. So she yeah. taught me how to cook without getting off the sofa, you see. So it was great for all of us. 
But we would sit down and have a proper meal at lunch every day. It was a social occasion and it included wine. And then he went back to work. What I've read, too, is that Sunday dinners, sorry, Sunday lunches where families would get together are like really, really important. Also, I don't know if that's still a tradition in France where Sunday family meals happen. Yeah, I don't know either. It's been a long time since that au pair experience. It was back in the 80s. But let me ask you another question. Have you ever sort of committed a faux pas in France that you'd like to tell us about? Okay, I haven't done it maybe because I've been over so many times and I've read so many books. For example, like if there's any book written about someone's experience in France, I read it. Uh And one of the most common mistakes tourists, I'll say tourists and I won't, you know, label any nationality when they're in France, if you enter a store or an establishment, hotel, whatever, the first thing you should do is say, bonjour. You don't go, where can I find the tea or the scarves? You say, bonjour, madame, bonjour, monsieur. It's just a way that the French behave. And if you don't do that, you're frowned upon and you could be treated differently. It's very polite, good manners. It is. Yeah. And they're very big on rules and procedures. That's why there often is criticism about the bureaucracy in France. If a person, for example, wants to move to France, the red tape that they have to go through is extraordinary. Well, I think that's true in most places. Yeah. So I think that would be one of the biggest things is to say bonjour, merci. And, you know, when you're traveling to France, particularly if it's your first time, learn a few phrases. It's like going anywhere. I went to Bhutan back in October and it's a difficult language, but I learned one phrase. And every time I would say it to a Bhutanese person, they giggle. And I think they were giggling because, well, she's trying. Yes. What was your one phrase? Thank you. Oh, or hello. It was no, it was hello. You know, the stereotype, especially about Paris, is that people are so rude. What's your take on that? They're not, you know, and maybe I'm the exception because I speak French. I've only had one bad incident. And what happened was, yeah, I bought a uh, sweater at a very well known clothing store. And I realized, no, it was either a bigger size or a different color that I wanted. So the next day I went back and the woman said, you've worn it. It's all wrinkled. And I said, I haven't worn it. So I decided to argue with her and she backed down. And that's very common from what I've heard that you will be argued. But if you stand up for yourself, they'll back down. Oh, okay, fine. And it was fine. But I don't find the French rude if you make the effort to speak French and you follow the customs. And that's absolutely the key because I've had people say, oh, but people were rude to me there. And I said, did you speak French? Did you at least say bonjour? Mm -hmm. No, they didn't. They started writing in English. As soon as you say bonjour, what I found is that I'd go ahead and say a whole sentence in French. I used to actually speak French. Mm -hmm. And hearing my accent, they'd switch to English with me. And then it was no problem at all. I think the worst thing anyone can do is to say, parlez-vous anglais? No, no, don't say, do you speak English as your first thing that comes out of your mouth. I agree with you. First thing, bonjour. The other thing I've heard about Paris, and I agree with this, is if you want to learn French, don't stay in Paris. And the reason is they get such an influx of tourists speaking English that you'll inevitably 
meet people who speak English and you won't learn your French. Just yeah. about everybody I've met exactly. in Paris has spoken English well, better than yeah. my French. Whereas outside of Paris, it, you definitely could uh, speak French more. Mm -hmm. And it's more fun. Yes. When you're really, really trying to speak the language and you're using sign language and making mistakes. And one thing the French love to do, and I don't mind this at all, is they will correct you if you <laughs> say something wrong. I don't mind it. So yeah, when's so your next trip to France planned? May, and I'm having a great dilemma. Ooh, what's I've, that? So the dilemma is I have been to Mont Saint-Michel, which is the cathedral on the island, and there's water that separates it from the land, and then when the tide goes out, you can actually walk across. And I'm doing a half marathon race there. And then I thought, well, I'll tour around Brittany. I haven't been to, uh, west of Mont Saint-Michel to Dinan, to Van, to all those places. I'm torn to go back to the south of France. But back up and tell us about this marathon. I'm picturing Mont Saint-Michel here, right? You know, yes. you go across the causeway and you walk, you sort of wind your way up on the island, up to the church at the top and so on. Does the marathon go up that or do you start <laughs> at the top and go down? And no. Then... So this is a half marathon. So it's 21.1 kilometers and it starts east of Mont Saint-Michel in a town called Avranche. Uh -huh. And you start there and you run towards the Mont Saint-Michel. I assume it ends right in front. My well, guess is it just stops in front. Uh, <laughs> as for the marathon, I can't remember what the route is. I think they start at Mont Saint-Michel and they do a loop. They go west and then they come back. Training isn't so good lately, but anyways, we'll see. I've so had, are you a marathon runner as well? I used to be. Okay. I've done the Paris Marathon, and I've done a whole bunch of uh, half marathons, and I've also done the Marathon du Médoc, which I have to tell you about. This is a marathon that is a big party. You don't go for your best time. The marathon is 42.2 kilometers, and at, there are 22 water stations, so basically every two kilometers. And at the water stations, there's water, there's raisins, there's cookies, granola, you name it. And there's also wine. <laughs> and so oh, you take a sip of wine. I love it. And then you, this is what I did. I would stop, I'd have a little sip of wine, I'd eat something and drink some water, and then I'd run onto the next water station. And I think I did that for 21 of the 22 water stations. One water station was so packed with people, I thought, I'm not waiting. There was grilled beef. There were oysters. There was ice cream, like little ice cream bars on a stick. There were cookies. There were chips. And then there was the typical stuff that you find at water stations besides water. Sugar cubes. I know it sounds weird. They don't do it in Canada. So, so basically you run a marathon and by the end of it, you're drunk and you've gained weight. Weight, actually, because you've run, I think I burned 2,800 calories, maybe more. Oh, I didn't tell you at the end. Oh, first of all, you don't get drunk because everybody wants to cross the finish line. So you just have a sip. And because you're mixing it with water and food, you just don't. When you cross the finish line, you're handed a medal, a knapsack, a wooden box containing a bottle of Bordeaux wine, and a cup on a string, if I can put it that way, with a rope that goes around your neck. 
so you can go to the beer and wine tent where there's more free beer and wine and food. So you get drunk after. Yes. Remember I said it's a big party? People dress up in costumes. So the theme when I did it, which was 2013, was science fiction. So there were people dressed in, you name it, like different costumes. Then there were these, there must have been eight guys dressed as Flash Gordon. So they're wearing the red suit with the big Z or the flash, you know, the lightning flash. And I said, can I have my picture taken with you? And not only did they say yes, they picked me up. Like (laughs) they lifted me up and it's probably one of my favorite photos. And that was at the oyster line after we had tasted oysters or eaten oysters. And it sells out very quickly. And it's usually the first, second weekend in September. That's a great tip. Talk about off the beaten path. They do things with style. They do. It's not just a race. It's a whole event. And that's why it's so much fun. Yeah, there are people who love marathons. But actually, I met three people from England. And it's very easy, right? You just hop on the Eurostar and you take a train down to Bordeaux. Actually, Actually, the race took place in Poyac, which is just outside of Bordeaux. But lots of foreigners because it's a very famous race. If you could, let let me think what I want to ask you next. Tell us about you particularly as a traveler. When you first arrive in a place, what's the first thing you do? So often I will rent an apartment for a week or a house or whatever. I probably will go grocery shopping. (laughs) I know that sounds so boring, but going to a French grocery store is amazing. I love it. It's so different from in Canada, or I would say anywhere in North America. For example, if you want yogurt, good luck. I remember bumping into some um, Canadians in the grocery store, and I was just staring at the yogurt because there were so many different types, even the wine. So their grocery stores will sell wine, and the quantity, quality, but especially the price. You can get an amazingly good bottle of wine for like three euros, which is what, $5 Canadian? So I have great fun in the grocery store. (laughs) And of course, I'll stock up, load my refrigerator. By the way, it's a very, very small refrigerator, so you can't buy too much. Uh, You just won't find enormous fridges in Paris or uh, sorry, in French apartments. So you rent an apartment when you're there. You don't stay in a hotel. A mix. Or I will get an apartment that has a kitchenette mm-hmm. if I can. But I still do eat out. I just won't eat out as frequently as, you know, one would. Yeah. But, you know, I do like to try out some local places that might be recommended. So after I do that, then I just start wandering. I love to walk and wander around. Often I will rent a car. The one time I didn't was when I went to Montpellier. I took a one-week course and stayed there because everything is in the town. And then I flew back to Paris and stayed there a week. If you're interested in doing a immersion course in France, mm-hmm. improve your French, what's the best one that you've been to? Best experience I've ever had, and I've been twice and I would go back again, is called École des Trois Ponts, a school of the three points. Literally, it's in in Rouen, which is west of Lyon. It's a total immersion. So you stay on the compound, which has rooms, see, private bathroom. I really can't remember. It's not a lot of rooms. I would say maybe 
8 to 10, and you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner together, and you have classes in the morning and perhaps in the afternoon, depending what package you take. The first time I took it, I had classes in the morning, and then I think two evenings, and breakfast, lunch, dinner, and it was just a week. And you're speaking French all the time. And so that's what made it so special and, you know, uh, really a positive experience where I got a lot out of it. The other thing was, it's an overused term, but it's student learning. They basically cater it to your needs. Yes, they have a plan of how they're going to teach you. If you start talking about food, they might go in that direction. So it's, it's really good. It's not so structured that, you know, oh, I got to follow exactly what they're doing. Is this one-on-one lessons or in small groups? No, small groups. So at one time, I think there were four of us in the class. And then the second time, yeah, there were four again. So the second time I did it, I had classes in the morning and then cooking in the afternoon. Oh, that sounds fun. It was unreal, but all the cooking instruction was in French. Yeah, of course. Oh, my Lord. And that's a whole different vocabulary. And these were not just, you know, one course. It was like many cooking, of course. It was funny how you're circling back to food, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I've stayed in touch now with a couple and this other lady who I met back in 2011. It was fabulous. I can't say enough about the school because I really, really did improve my French and learn. I mean, to the point where you're making jokes in class. That's how the comfort level improved. And they do evaluate you. So it's not like it's just a free-for-all. They show you how you've progressed. And that's what you want. You want to see that that there's been some improvement. Why don't you live there if you're so crazy? Well, right. My father's 91, almost 92. So it's more, yeah, I kind of want to be close to home. Sure, sure. So that's why. Yeah. But yeah, my heart is in France. I think we're going to wrap this up then. I'd like to thank you, Janice Chung, for talking to us. It's been really fun talking to you. And thank you to both of you for having me on. I get so excited talking about France. And- <laughs> but uh, Janice writes for francetraveltips.com. That's one word, francetraveltips.com. Yes. So you should go and check out her site. Thank you so much. much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to 1001 Travel Tales, stories from seasoned travelers. Shoba George's blog, Just Go Places, is at justgoplacesblog.com. Rachel Heller writes Rachel's Ruminations, which can be found at rachelheller.org.